1: This is
3: Bloomberg Wall Street Week. What's the state of corporate governance? The deficit is a real issue. The U.S. economy continues to send mixed signals. The financial stories that shape our world. Fed action to calm concerns over dollar liquidity. Some encouraging China data. The 500 wealthiest people in the world. Through the eyes of the most influential voices. Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson. SEC Chairman Jay Clayton. Bloomberg Wall Street
1: Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio.
3: The American economy starts to open its doors, but are consumers ready to come back? This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. Every state in the union opened its doors this week, at least a little bit, and the markets held their breath to see whether the consumers felt comfortable enough to come back outside. The numbers of cases were down, testing was up, and there was even talk of a possible vaccine. But is this an indication of a true pivot toward recovery? or are we just wishing ourselves to success? One thing that everyone could agree on, the answer to the question lies with the consumer. And so, in the end, it's not an economic question at all. It's a question of public health and whether people feel safe enough to re-enter the marketplace. Former Goldman Sachs chairman and CEO Lloyd Blankfein has spent a career assessing and managing risk. And he says that there is health risk to be incurred whenever we open
4: the economy. It's not whether it's when. Well, there's a, there's a lot that's unknown and un- unknowable. And moreover, I know that no one knows. And so that's, a, that's an aspect of this because you can dig and dig and dig. Uh, but basically, I think with this current moment, we're not so much in the realm of forecasting. I think we're in the realm of contingency planning. And I think one of those contingencies you have to plan for is you know the surprise. Most of the time in my, in my former life, surprises were almost always bad surprises. Something would go wrong. And of course we were so big and extensive, there's nothing that could go wrong anywhere in the world that wouldn't affect us. Um, But I would say in this particular moment, and we're seeing a little bit of of that today, uh, the tail, i.e. the possibility of something highly improbable happening uh, could actually be good for the market. So somebody announces they're making progress with a vaccine. So it's a funny situation where if something flat, if I was watching the news and something flashed on and there was some surprise coming, I'm actually looking forward to hear it, hearing it, whereas before it was almost always going to be negative. One of the aspects we're
3: seeing in this is what appears to be a very difficult choice between, on the one hand, public health, safety, well-being, lives, and on the other hand, the economy. Do you think that we're striking that
4: balance more or less the right way? Well, just to question the predicate of that, I think that's a real... You know, that juxtaposition is, is sometimes a, a bit off. I think there's health issues on both sides, obviously. And a lot has been talked about this now, wherein, you know, you know, extreme poverty, obviously, you know, is a, is a health risk and all the things that proceed from it. And also, you know, depression, uh, drug addiction, um, I mean, suicide at an extreme, but basically life expectancy Uh, comes from, uh, you know, a fall off, a collapse in GDP, and this is unprecedented. So this would be off any of those charts. So I think it's not just health versus economy, it's health, it's economy on both sides. And by the way, the health issues may be more neutral than some people think. You know, once the curve is, you know, the original intent to flatten the curve was just to stretch out the exposures that people would have so it didn't overwhelm the healthcare system. But the fact of the matter is, I think unless we're going to hunker down until a vaccine comes up or until the virus is obliterated from the face of the earth, which I think is too long to keep the whole country on welfare, eventually people are going to go back. And when they come back, the infection rate is going to go up. So I think we're just postponing the exposures and the infections
3: well, Lloyd, that's actually one of my questions, which is whether it's on the health front or for that matter, on the economic front, uh, extraordinary efforts are being made. Uh, are, are we postponing what happens or are we
4: actually changing what happens? Is this a timing matter only? Well, to some degree, look, if deus ex machina vaccine appears, and I know there was some positive news today, but just think it has to go through trials for, you know, we have to make sure it doesn't kill people, make sure it's effective, it has to be manufactured, distributed. That's... Really, the country can't be on welfare even that long, even if there was, you know, that was a, 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 a something that was magical. We are postponing it, but that doesn't mean it's without help. They're learning things about treating viruses, even if there's not a vaccine. There are treatments that people are aware of. So there is some benefit to it, but not as huge as if there were an ultimate vaccine that would make people comfortable. So to, I think to a greater extent, we're postponing people's exposure to it, and to some extent, uh, you know, we're eliminating the, the, the direst of risks that would happen if the healthcare system was overwhelmed while people had it. But I think in the long run, you know, we have to contemplate that people will go back to work, what kind of economy will will face. And no matter when you do it, look what happened to some of these Asian countries where they almost, they were high-fiving because they, the virus, the new exposures were way, way down. And notwithstanding that the second they go back to work, They spike up again. So that's going to be an expectation no matter when you do it. I think when we go forward and look back at this from sometime in the future, if we're going to go through that anyway, people will be very critical if the official sector uh, sacrificed more of the economy than they needed to. Even because at the end of the day, I think the exposures are going to be, you know, Almost the same. We've heard a fair amount uh, of both President Trump and the Federal
3: Reserve, particularly Jay Powell, the chair, recently. And it seems from Chair Powell we're hearing two things. One is the Fed will do pretty much whatever it can, whatever it needs to, to really support the economy as best it can. But on the other hand, a lot of caution that this may take longer than we think. It may be more difficult to think. And even the possibility of long-term damage. How do you assess the possible damage to the U.S. economy over the longer term?
4: Well, obviously, it depends on how long this goes on. And, you know, you could see, it's easy to see what damage would be. You know, you have rest certain businesses that come into contact with the public that are going to go away, that were operating at tight margins anyway, uh, that, won't, so, that, won't, that can't afford to wait until they reopen. And some businesses that will reopen at such a reduced level that they won't be profitable, so they won't reopen. That was former chairman and CEO of Goldman Sachs, Lloyd
3: Blankfein. Coming up, the head of Bank of America, Brian Moynihan, says that government efforts to cushion the blow to the economy are working. The question is how people will react as we start the economy back up. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg.
1: This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio.
3: We aren't seeing the kinds of stress in the credit markets we might have expected, and that's because the massive fiscal and monetary support is having at least some effect. But Bank of America chairman and CEO Brian Moynihan says that the real test will come as we start the economy back up, and we discover whether the consumer is willing to become fully engaged.
2: Our view hasn't changed, but it comes back to what I said before, this is a healthcare crisis. And as you're starting to see the healthcare crisis be mitigated, not solved yet, you're starting to see the economy uh, start to recover, and we can talk about that. But the approach to winning uh, the war against the crisis uh, for us has been a customer-centric, community-centric, employee-centric move. And so you know, we've been out there driving it. We've been supporting our clients and trying to make sure they have the credit and capital to uh, uh do what they need to do and, and help them through this trough of activity in the second quarter. And you can see that in the loan balance extended to PPP loans and other things we've done. We've helped our consumer clients through waivers so they have the ability to have better cash flow in a house. We've helped our teammates by saying no layoffs so they know their job is secure and then getting them safe and working from home. And then we've helped our communities by contributions in, uh, of $100 million in CDFI uh, investments, which are community development financial institutions at $250 million, of which about $170 million is already out. So all that is offsetting the impacts of the current uh, second quarter downdraft that you've seen with the unemployment numbers. And we don't see it much differently. It's just that we're starting to see us come out the other side of this, frankly.
3: So we have heard from the Federal Reserve, and they've expressed some concern at least, that as this pandemic continues, there may be some threat to the overall system. And specifically, it talks, for, for example, about commercial real estate. Are you seeing some parts of the market that are particularly vulnerable on the credit side?
2: Remember that the the U.S. economy is going to be dependent on the activity of the consumer uh, base. And, and so you always have to start there when you talk about the U.S. So even though we have this year from the Bank of America research team, which is the best in the world, you know, being minus 5%, 5 .5 5.5% this year and plus 5% next year, the real question will be how do consumers behave. And and what we've seen since the low point in the first couple weeks of April in terms of everything, in terms of their spending, because of uh, the stay-at-home edicts, in terms of their borrowing activity, uh, in terms of the uh, transfer of money, um, you saw all that fall to a lowest level, and obviously things like travel and hotels and things are most affected. But as you've seen steadily, as you went through the third week of April and on into the first part of May, you're seeing their activities pick up even in the states that are still under stay-from-home, and you're seeing the activity pick up much quicker in the places they're going back to work. And so, for the month of May, we're seeing it down about you know two, three, four percent versus last year uh for the year today, it's down a couple percent and that's the question the length of this is going to be how the consumers behave, given the the high levels of unemployment that you've seen published when people get back to work jobs coming back in the stimulus payments, which are all hitting the street of the last few weeks, and how it all works together to see if the consumer's behavior changed. And when when you hear Governor uh, Chair Powell and others, the concern I have is have we changed consumer behavior as we look out across the next, you know, four, five, six quarters.
3: Well, that is a a key question, maybe the key question, Brian, clearly. When it comes to the consumer, I know you've already taken about $4.8 billion reserve against credit, possible losses. Given the level of unemployment, which is really quite stunning, do you think that's going to be enough?
2: Well, what you've seen so far is uh, with the consumer help, you know, we've we've had, uh, granted about a million and a half payment deferrals. But if you look at the actual uh, interesting statistics, about 35 or 40% of the people asked for a credit card payment deferral went ahead and made the payment. And if you go and look at those consumers, what you see is because of the... Uh, leave aside the, the, the issue of you know, where the money is coming from, you're seeing higher balance in our account. And that's because the stimulus between you know the EIP payments, between the enhanced unemployment, the, these measures taken by Congress and by the administration, by the Fed, have worked to offset the unfortunate aspects of very high unemployment. And so, so far, you're not seeing the delinquencies and things rise. you've, asked, you've seen payment deferrals uh, increase, but you're seeing them start to level off and come down in our book. And so we, we expect to see you know charge-offs coming later on as, as, as this thing goes on. But, you, but the reality is right now you're not see, seeing the kind of credit damage that you'd expect to see with this amount of downdraft and activity. The question is what happens next, and that's what we're all watching.
3: And to that very point, you said in the past, China, to some extent, may give us some indication. We've seen numbers coming out of China, Brian, that indicate the industrial production has come back pretty quickly. Oil consumption is coming back as well. But on the other hand, consumer maybe not so much with the retail sales. Does that give you cause for concern back here in the United States?
2: Well, it does, because the, the question is, how do you change behavior? So. When you saw China, you saw, you know, they went into this earlier. They locked down earlier. They came out earlier, and you know, we're back in our, you know, offices in China, moving from fifty percent of people back to work to eighty percent. So you're starting to see a normalization of activity, and then the question is, what's the underlying activity in restaurants and? and shopping and things like that. And so you saw an immediate burst of activity as they open back up and you saw, see it fall back down. And that's what we have to watch in the United States is there'll be a burst of activity in some of these places as people who have been you know, in their homes for six, five, six, seven, eight weeks go back out and do things and then will that sustain. And that's where you need to look more fundamentally on things like car purchases and things like house purchases and see where they start to end up over time. But remember, the baseline projection for most people is the economy doesn't get back to its current size until you get to sort of the end of next year. That's the definition of recovery. So, but each quarter from this quarter forward is increased economic activity. And what we have to make sure, and all the policies and stimulus have been put in place are making sure is that despite the very high unemployment, despite the issues of who's unemployed, despite the issues getting, that we need to get people back to work and the human toll of all that, the stimulus is offsetting it. It is an attempt to offset that. And you have to see that play out over time.
3: Uh, Brian, you have something like 180,000, I think, people working from home right now. You talked about what you're doing over in Asia. When do you expect them to come back and how? And by the way, how many? Will they all come back?
2: Well, the the idea is we have we've always had people who worked outside the standard office setting. And that's something we do. Um, there's a great debate. You know, will this change forever? The workforce in America and where they want to work. We'll see that play out. But that is that is further out there in the near term. We have we have been open every day. We have not shut down, except for the branches we closed out of, of concerns to keep our teammates safe in those in those branches, um, we, which is about. Uh, 40% of the branches, everything else has been open. We've been functioning every day, and we're beginning to open those branches, especially in the states that are reopening, slowly but surely. So we have the ability to operate very well, very much under control. Our tech and ops team under Kathy Besant's leadership did a fabulous job of putting us in a position to have 180,000 people work from home so we can operate this way. So we have the luxury to go back slowly and with social distancing requirements, with temperature taking, with all the policies that all employers want to put in place. You know, the the ability to have the luxury of putting people back in place carefully also takes the burden off of the communities we operate in, not to have you know, a high level of cases or, or, or infections right. and having people move around and creating pressure on the community. So we'll we'll go back slowly. We haven't set any plans yet. We have a top talent team working on the reentry back to the office. It's not back to work. We're working every day. It's back to the office.
3: That was Brian Moynihan, Bank of America chairman and CEO. Coming up, Speaker Nancy Pelosi thinks she knows what the public needs to feel confident, and it's going to require some more help from the federal government. That's next on Wall Street Week on Bloomberg.
1: This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week
3: with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio. Congress has already appropriated trillions of dollars to shore up the economy, but Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi says more needs to be done to help those tens of millions of Americans who are out of work and to protect hundreds of millions of Americans across the country as they return to the marketplace.
5: Yes, indeed, we want the economy to open up and the science is the path to that, testing tracing, treating, isolating. It has to be a scientific answer. And of course, we hope and pray for a vaccine and, and some uh, therapies, uh, but in the meantime, we have testing and that's what we need to use to get the, a handle on the size of the challenge we have, uh, to trace it and to treat so that we have fewer deaths. That is the answer. Now, in addition to that, and we have that as a strategic plan and our Heroes Act, a strategic plan to do that, with, as you do in business, have a goal, have a timetable, have milestones, have benchmarks. That's exactly what we have. In addition to that, in order to support the economy, we honor our heroes by keeping state, local, territorial, and tribal governments functioning. Uh, These people, many of them on the front line of risking their lives to save other people's lives, now fear losing their jobs. Uh, all of these services that are rendered are not only jobs, but they, are, they meet the needs of the American people. That helps the economy. And then third, putting money into the pockets of the American people. We all know that issues like uh, uh, unemployment insurance, food stamps, and the rest really are st- uh, provide stimulus to the economy, and we have to do that. Uh, and we said so we think in our package, the, he- the Heroes Act, that we do just exactly that—a scientific path to open the economy safely, safely and soon. Uh, supporting our heroes to keep those jobs uh, in place, which is important, which are important to the economy, and again, the stimulus that money in the pockets of the American people provides.
3: Of course, the question on everyone's mind is the prospects of passage of the HEROES Act or something Mm -hmm. like it, and when it might happen. We've heard from Secretary Mnuchin that he talked to you at least last week about something. He agrees something needs to be done. Not sure how quickly. President Trump said he's working with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, on some sort of package. Are you in active negotiations? How much hope do you have that we'll have something relatively soon?
5: Well, I'm optimistic because the American people fully support what we are doing, uh, two to one already. just just newly passed, uh, they support the provisions of our bill and oppose the Senate obstructing it. Uh, So I have confidence in public opinion. Also when it's bipartisan across the country, uh, we have uh, less than a trillion dollars that goes to states, localities, tribes, and and territorial governments uh, that uh, provide jobs for people across the country. So we have Democratic and Republican mayors, governors, uh, county executives, and the rest, very enthusiastic about the legislation and making their voices known uh, to the the members of the United States Senate. This is very unusual that we have such a strong bipartisan uh, advocacy uh, for legislation of this kind, which is meeting resistance uh, in the Senate, but I don't think for long because what we have in the bill is disciplined, it's focused, it's all necessary, and it has broad bipartisan support in the country. It's just a matter of time. They want to pause, but as I've said here before, hunger doesn't take a pause, losing your job doesn't take a pause, all of the, uh, paying the rent doesn't take a pause. We really need to meet the needs of the American people and at the same time provide stimulus to the economy. You mentioned Mnuchin, but also the uh, head of the Fed, the chairman of the Fed, Powell, has said that it's responsibility of elected representatives to use uh, the tax and spend responsibilities that we have uh, in a way that helps the economy. And he has indicated that there's need for more.
3: Just one quick thought about China, because another thing that appears to have bipartisan support right now on Capitol Hill is some legislation, including possibly delisting some Chinese companies. Is that going to make it, it's been through the Senate, is it going to make it through the House? And might it have ramifications for the markets overall?
5: This is something we just learned of. It passed uh, with unanimous consent, so was isn't much debate or We don't know who voted, unanimous consent, so we'll review it in the House. I've asked my committees to take a look at what that is. I take second place to no one uh, in the Congress, House, or Senate, and my criticisms of China's uh, uh, trade policies uh, vis-à-vis the United States over decades, their human rights policies, their proliferation of weapons of mass destruction uh, right now, whether it's the Uyghurs, the people of Hong Kong, Tibet, you name it, they have been very oppressive and even more so but the fact is that we have to judge every uh, we have to have a relationship with china and we judge every action as to what it means to us as well as what it means to them so i look forward to seeing that it's interesting that it had such unanimous support though in the Senate.
3: that was speaker of the house nancy pelosi coming up we wrap up the week with larry summers this is wall street week on bloomberg
1: This is Bloomberg Wall Street Week with David Weston from Bloomberg Radio.
3: We wrap up the week this week, what we do every week, with our very special contributor, Larry Summers of Harvard. So, Larry, we had some experience this week with some economies starting to open up. We had Georgia start to open up first. We also have uh, Sweden that never really closed very much. What are we learning from that? Uh, is it, does it, do the consumers come bouncing right back?
1: I think we're learning something Um that was quite surprising to me, though perhaps it should not have been. Uh, lockdown is actually less the issue than people's fear. If you look at what's happened to consumer spending, it's come back some in Georgia, but it's also come down. It's also come back in New York, and to just about exactly the same extent. If you look at Sweden, which never closed down, and Denmark, which closed down pretty rigorously. Many more people have died in Sweden, but there hasn't been much difference in what's happened to consumer spending or the economy. The Swedish economy's dipped 80% as much as the Danish economy has. The reality is that what this is more about is not the lockdown, but the virus and people's degree of confidence. And if you think about it, that makes sense. If they opened up all the restaurants to go sit in one, I wouldn't go sit in a restaurant now, even though I like uh, restaurants. I think most of us are more constrained by our desire to be prudent about our health and prudent about the health of people we might pass a virus on to than we are constrained by some law that some governor uh, decrease. That just underscores what I've been saying for some weeks: that ultimately, the most important economic policies are the health policies, whether it's testing or therapy or uh, vaccination, that or contact tracing that can put this problem in the rearview mirror. And until we do that, I don't think we're really going to fix the fundamental economic concern. And when we do that, we've got a prospect of a reasonably rapid uh, recovery. But I think we have learned something important that this great debate about lockdowns is actually less of a debate than we have all thought about it as being, because people who don't believe in the lockdown In the united states don't respect it and honor it and people who are scared don't go out even if the lockdown uh is uh removed i saw that one of the prominent washington think tanks um has announced that it's not going to have any visitors until the end of the year and it's not going to have anybody back in their offices until september at the earliest well you know, they're not waiting to see what gets decreed by the president right. or by the mayor of Washington, D.C. And right. You're seeing right. a lot of uh, right. that kind of thing. This is going to be based more on decentralized decision making of people who assess right. risks to themselves <clears throat> uh, is, I think, what we've right. learned here.
3: Yeah, as you say, Larry, consumers are going to vote with their feet as a practical matter. But you've been a staunch advocate for a much ramped up testing and contact tracing program. Is it possible that could be enough to restore the confidence to the consumer, to the worker? Or do we really have to wait to a vaccine as a
1: practical matter? Look, I don't think this is going to be behind us till we have a vaccine or a convincing and highly credible, uh, uh, highly credible Uh, kind of uh, therapy. I do think that if we did the right things with testing that all kinds of private ways of employers testing their employees before they come back and retesting them on a periodic basis. Universities uh, opening to at least some extent based on the fact that they were going to test each student uh, with uh, some, period, some periodicity. Um, I think these kinds of things will start to happen if we have testing and there'll be a further multiplier uh, from uh, testing uh, if we can uh, do it uh, more, uh, per- more pervasively. So I do think that ramping up testing should be a very great priority. I suspect the utility of testing will come in a more decentralized way than I probably would have imagined a few weeks ago. It'll be employers. It'll be airlines um, not wanting to have anybody with the virus uh, on uh, their planes. It'll be similar uh, things for entering into various kinds of uh, activities.
3: Right. Right. So, Larry, if the markets didn't have enough to worry about with the virus, we also injected a growing conflict with China, China. U.S.-China. And we have, of course, the People's uh, Congress meeting and taking various actions. We have up on the Hill a a move to delist some Chinese companies past the Senate. It's pending before the House. In the meantime, we had the Secretary of State Pompeo say we're going to review the special trade status for Hong Kong because Hong Kong actually is sort of a victim, perhaps, of Beijing saying we're going to have a new security law. Does that make sense right now, given what's going on with the global economy and the U.S. economy?
1: I don't get it. Um, Hong Kong's a victim, so why punish them? I don't think you're going to do any important damage to China uh, by fooling around with Hong Kong's trade status, but you're going to hurt the people of Hong Kong even worse uh, than uh, they're hurting uh, now. So I don't really see uh, the logic. I, I sympathize. I and I feel for the fact that the warnings that were given at the time when uh, I was in I was in government uh, at the time and went to Hong Kong and spoke about uh, the importance of one country two systems as really a test of China's uh, credibility and China doesn't appear to be meeting that test and it's tragic but it seems like to the extent we want to be taking any action, it should be towards uh, China, not towards the victim, uh, which is Hong Kong. I don't really what, understand what about- why preventing Americans, f- preventing Chinese companies from listing on the american stock market when they meet the relevant capital market requirements is going to serve american interests seems to me that it's going to reduce our degree of influence and leverage over those companies and over china it's going to make it harder for americans to make investments it's not going to really impact on those countries ability to access capital it's going to be a great gift uh to stock exchanges in Singapore, to stock exchanges uh, in London. Ironically, it may be a big gift to the Hong Kong stock exchange. At the same time, other people in the administration are trying to damage uh, the Hong Kong economy. So I don't think we have a policy that's defined by its uh, coherence. I think a mature policy would recognize that at this point we are not friends with China and probably not going to be friends or allies or partners in uh, the foreseeable future. We are uh, two very strong individuals in a small lifeboat in a turbulent sea a long way from the shore. We don't need to like each other. But we do need to cooperate with each other and pursuing tit-for-tat acts of revenge, even if we're right in some abstract sense, that we can anger, hurt, and alienate them is not going to serve our objective of uh, getting to uh, the shore. So... We need to find a way of elevating this relationship right. uh, past tit right. for that um, right. into adulthood. Yeah.
3: yeah, which will be a particular challenge in a presidential election year, I dare say. Thank you so much, Larry Summers, our special contributor, of course, former Secretary of Treasury. That does it for Wall Street Week. I'm David Weston. This is Bloomberg. I hope we see you next week.